Today on CyberWork, Andrew Howard, CEO of Kudelski Security, returns to give us his cybersecurity predictions for 2022. How will cybersecurity protect the supply chain? Why is quantum computing on all his clients' minds? And how would Andrew rewrite security from the ground up if a genie granted him three wishes? Find out today on CyberWork. Welcome to this week's episode of the CyberWork with InfoSec podcast. Each week, we talk with a different industry thought leader about cybersecurity trends, the way those trends affect the work of InfoSec professionals, and offer tips for breaking in or moving up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. As the CEO for Kudelski Security, Andrew Howard leads the global cybersecurity business, focusing on the global expansion of the group's cybersecurity activities, as well as broadening Kudelski Security's solutions. Andrew joined Kudelski Security in 2016 as the Chief Technology Officer. And that's when we last saw him. He was on our, our podcast uh, a couple years back. As CTO, Andrew led Kudelski Security's technical strategy, product development, engineering, and research, overseeing, overseeing in particular the launch of the group's Internet of Things Security Center of Excellence, its managed security services platform, and the delivery of Secure Blueprint, the group's cyber business management platform. In 2019, he was promoted to chief executive officer to scale the business out of its build phase and into a leading global cybersecurity provider. Andrew is also a Global Futures Council member for World Economic Forum and holds information security certificates from ISACA and ISC Squared. Uh, so last time Andrew was on the show, we talked about uh, the security implications of the mass migrations into the cloud, uh, which at that point was still um, something that a lot of people thought was a little bit down the road. Now, obviously, we've gotten a lot further along. Uh, and, and Andrew has come back to talk to us a little bit about some of his predictions for 2022. Uh, Andrew, welcome back to CyberWork. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, so I don't remember if I asked you this before, and certainly if uh, people haven't heard your old episode, they should go back and listen to it. But can you give us your security journey? Where did you first get interested in computers and tech and, and what, drew, what drew you to it? It's a good question. Uh, my mom has a photo on her desk from when I was five or six taking apart a radio. And uh, <laughs> so as a kid, I was taking things apart a lot and was kind of a fiddler, wanted mm -hmm. to understand how things work. Then uh, sometime in the 90s, I saw the movie Sneakers. You know, oh, yeah. Dan Aykroyd, Sidney Poitier, Robert Redford. Uh, mm -hmm. Great movie. And that, uh, I didn't know what I was getting interested in at the time, but that movie... Right. Definitely got me interested <laughs> in the security space. And then ultimately, uh, when I was at university, I took an internship with a, a U.S. Army R&D organization. Okay. And they needed help making sure these systems didn't get accessed by people they shouldn't be accessed by. And at the time, they didn't call it cybersecurity, but that's what it is today and right. ever since. Okay, so um, the last time you were on the show, as I said, we discussed security issues related to migrations into the cloud. Uh, so obviously, lots lots changed since then. Considering the changes in the world uh, due to changing work environments and the need for an accelerated move into the cloud, uh, how do you think the process has evolved? Uh, evolved? Like, where did you think you saw it back then, and and how is it how has it uh, been on kind of a global global scale now? So I think uh, the last time we talked, I think I told you that. Most companies are looking at the cloud and mm -hmm. uh, will be there one day, I think was. The, yeah. If you're not there now, you're on your way. Right. Or you're on your way. I mean, mm -hmm. at the time I was meeting, I was meeting with CIOs and it was certainly on their roadmap for where they were heading. Mm -hmm. Today, if I look across our client base and all the CIOs I've met, 
I, I haven't seen a board deck yet that doesn't say we're getting out of our data centers if we're not yeah, already yeah. out. Mm-hmm. One. The second thing I think is true is we see a lot more born in the cloud companies than ever before. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will say working with them is a very different challenge than working with a legacy company. They mm-hmm. tend to move at much greater speed and velocity than the legacy player will just because they're dealing with the old and the new. And then the third thing I'll say that I don't know that I anticipated um, back then is that everybody seems to be hybrid cloud, even if they don't even if they don't know it. I mean, they might tell you right. they're all AWS or they're all Azure, but what you find once you get in is that they've got things everywhere. I mean, Azure, yeah. Google Cloud, every SaaS platform you could think of. So I, uh, you know, so I think the story in 2017 was right. People are moving that direction, but the story today is they're there and they're getting and they're expanding. Yeah. Now, uh, were you surprised at, at sort of how much dragging of the heels there was? I mean, it, it, it seems surprising that people are still like at this point considering whether or not to do the cloud or, oh, yeah, we're on our way or this is the year where we go completely cloud. Are you are you surprised at some of the outliers and the people? Sort sure. of I mean, I can tell you, we have four to five hundred fairly active clients. I mean, we're doing a lot of work with them and there is certainly a percentage of them that desire to stay on-premise for some component, it's almost always driven by regulatory concerns. It's not a desire or a cost reason. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. they're, they're being forced to for one reason yeah, or another. Yeah. I also think that environment is changing. I mean, as Azure and AWS have started to open regions in different countries, I mean, that removes some of that concern. Uh, but I, there are clients that are still kind of in the slow moving atmosphere, but that's yeah. a it's a rarity. Yeah, that's why that's why it's a bell curve. There's always a couple of folks at the end there. <laughs> yeah, I would just say the tails, it's it's a one-sided tail. Bell curve for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so for today's episode, Andrew, uh, as I said, wanted to discuss some predictions and opinions on trends for cybersecurity in 2022. Uh, but before we get into that, I wanted to ask you about this past year. I'm guessing you made predictions similarly at the start of 2021. How did the year shake out in terms of security compared to what you imagined? Uh, so what I love about this prediction space is, is that it's easy. I mean, I can basically <laughs> just take the predictions from any year and uh, just make them sound worse and then apply them to the next year. I mean, that's basically <laughs> yeah. how this market works. Sure. Uh, they, they don't change. I mean, so the predictions we made last year were ransomware is going to get worse. You're going to see cryptocurrency oriented attacks. We were right on those. Mm-hmm. I think we were wrong about what was going to happen in the OT space. Uh, I think we thought there'd be more kind of um, operational technology attacks than there were. Uh, mm. But overall, I think our predictions were pretty right. But I think, again, I think it's uh, a low target because yeah. the reality of the cybersecurity market is, is that um, uh, the attackers are getting better and the defenders are only getting marginally better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I've, I've talked to a few guests who said that, like, you know, even more depressing, like things haven't really changed that much in 15 years, let alone one year. You know, you're still... I mean, yeah. yeah, I can make a pretty good argument that there hasn't been a major cybersecurity defensive innovation in 40 years since wow. the creation yeah. of public key cryptography. Doesn't yeah. mean we're not doing a good job, and it doesn't mean right. that we're incrementally improving. But uh, the attackers are 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 financed well and are moving fast. Do you, do you can you see in your mind whether it exists or not the, what that next you know that next huge innovation would even be or if it's on the horizon? Or? I think it's this quantum computing topic. You okay. know, uh, five or six years ago, and even a year ago, we were saying 
it's coming someday. I mean, it's been yes. something that we've been hearing about. We are getting to the point that it's more real. I mean, we have clients that are in the more regulated space that are, are starting to, to worry about it. I mean, uh, NIST is about to publish their quantum algorithms. Yeah. I, I think it's time to start paying attention. I don't know that it's time to start getting worried. Uh, can you talk a little more about that? I, I don't know if I actually had, had the question in my question set, but what, what are your thoughts on on where quantum computing is going and what's what's the end, not, not end point, but what's the what's the sort of terminus point of, sure. uh, of this so working? Mo most cryptography today is based on hard math, typically around factorization, yeah. number factorization. Uh, a quantum computer, uh, if large enough and in existence, can theoretically crack these uh, factorial-based algorithms very quickly, such that all current encryption uh, could be at risk. Uh, well, there are quantum-safe algorithms out there. They have trade-offs. Hmm. That quantum computer doesn't exist yet, theoretically. It does in some form, but not a big enough size that we're aware of mm -hmm. to crack current cryptography. The concern right now is, is that, and what I would be worried about if I was a regular, regulated entity would be, uh, is the data that I'm creating today, which is being encrypted with current algorithms, being stored somewhere for later decryption once this computer is available? I'll also say that this computer will probably be available to those who need it to do nefarious things well before the public knows about it. So it's coming. We're probably not there yet. If you look at the latest and greatest research, you know, five to seven years away, my guess is a little sooner. What 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 are the concerns that you're, you said your clients are are, are concerned about? It? Are they just uh, concerned that they're they're not ready to uh, like? Is it the cost element or the what? What, what well, is they're it? concerned about the 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 safety of the data that they're encrypting today because mm -hmm. it could be stored, put offline, brought back online, and decrypted. Uh, mm. They're also worried about the future of their communication algorithms. I mean, Theoretic, I mean, as a general statement, trading out your cryptography is not something you want to do. And mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. uh, especially at large scale. And so it's time to start thinking about it, not necessarily take action. Okay. So uh, my previous guest uh, last week was InfoSec instructor and chief security re researcher Keytron Evans. And we talked about some of the major breaches uh, that happened this year. I mean, some were hacked, some uh, or originated in social engineering. We got quite a lot of ransomware out there in the world. Um, where do you see the the ransomware threat vectors coming from next? What's what's the state of ransomware right now? Ransomware is the money making tool of choice today. Mm -hmm. I would say that it is a symptom of the problem, not necessarily the problem. Okay, and ransomware has allowed um, bad actors to do is to monetize their threats. Yep. Uh, in the past, they would have just deployed malware, take systems down, steal intellectual property threaten to steal intellectual property or take systems down. Mm -hmm. Today, they're just using ransomware to extract payments. So they found yeah. a way to make money fairly straight in a fairly straightforward manner. Uh, I will say that the bigger issue is how the ransomware is getting in, which is today typically through email. So uh -huh. bad attachments, bad links, uh, yeah. malicious links. Uh, you know, one of our predictions for 2021, sorry, 2022, is that ransomware will uh, double, if not triple. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Just to be honest, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I probably could have said that last year. So, but I do think that for the time being, this is the threat of choice. Um, and if companies haven't gotten their act together around this topic, it is time to get your act together. What what, what recommends recommendations do you have along those lines? Uh, it requires a holistic approach for sure. I mean, there's no silver mm -hmm. bullet here. Yep. You know, we have clients who just want to buy a solution. That's tough. Yes, uh, they just want, want you to make it go away for them. Make it go away for them. I mean, and there are. 
easy things you can do, but it requires a holistic approach. It's going to require backup solutions, strong security, identity solutions. Uh, we would probably recommend an incident response retainer with some with a firm that can respond. There are also just you know, straightforward things that can be done that can limit your risks, such as deploy some kind of endpoint technology tool. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not one thing. It uh, tends to be yeah. a variety of things. Okay. Uh, so by the time this episode airs in early January, we'll be through the end of the end of your holiday season. And and certainly the two big words that hung over everything were supply chain. We were told to buy gifts early because of the supply chain, stock up on supplies because of the supply chain, prepare for inevitable disruptions of all types due to the supply chain. Can you speak about supply chain issues from a security perspective and, and what improved uh, security can do to either ease the bottleneck around it or how we can move into whatever the next phase of delivery of goods and services is? Sure. So I'm going to take this question from two different viewpoints. Okay. So when you talk about supply chain, the first thing people talk about typically is chips and product manufacturing. I mean, that's what yep. most people mean. This is the new frontier in security. Yep. Uh, we have matured greatly on the IT side of the equation. I mean, the average enterprise is a lot more secure today than they were a year ago. Or, and, and the high-end companies with the big revenues who are spending a lot of money are much more protected than they've ever been. Hmm. However, the operational technology environment, you know, plant production lines, elevators, uh, manufacturing equipment, vehicles, IoT, IIoT, all these topics, I mean, this is the new horizon in security because these environments have typically been avoided from a security perspective. They've typically hmm. been disconnected from the internet. That is no longer the case. Uh, And third, they're hard to make improvements in uh, because they Mm -hmm. tend to have big uptime requirements, which slows security professionals down. I think this is the new frontier from security. And there is a lot of opportunity out there for uh, both nefarious actors, but also for improvement. You can also look at this problem from um, an access uh, or a um, a, a data management perspective, meaning that We've seen a lot more attackers move up the chain and instead of attacking an end customer, instead attack their software providers or their data mm. providers or their ISPs uh, or their MSPs. Uh, because why attack one customer when I can go attack an MSP or a software provider and yep. attack just them and get access to a thousand of their clients? Wow. I also yeah. think this is another, emer- not just emerging, but uh, area requiring a lot of focus and is impacting these supply chain topics. Uh, and, and companies need to be aware of their reliance on third parties and the potential risks they're inheriting. Hmm. Now, uh, you said that there's a lot of opportunities opening, not just for bad actors, but for, for us to improve things. Is this uh, an area? I mean, obviously, all security is area of growth. But is this an area of growth for people? You know, we're always looking for uh, opportunities for people just getting started in their security journey to look for new career directions. Is this uh, strengthening the supply chain? Is that something that uh, people can start looking towards as, as a future career? I think so. I would probably categorize it more as physical device security. Okay. Uh, so, and, you know, I think there is a super need for young talent on the traditional IT side of the equation. Mm-hmm. I, there is about to be a equally large need on the kind of manufacturing side of the equation as well, because uh, yep. it's not just your laptop anymore. It's all your IoT devices. It's your thermostats and it's also oh, yeah. nuclear, nuclear plants. So there's opportunity. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, now, a, a, a great deal of the questions addressed above, uh, especially supply chain, pertain also to, uh, you know, the 900-pound gorilla in the room, uh, COVID-19 and the way it's changed society and including work and and the way everything sort of, uh, you know, travels. It's uh, looking from this vantage point that for the time being, at least hybrid work, uh, you're working some days in the office and others from home is here to stay. So how will these new trends in the way uh, and the places we work change the cybersecurity landscape, if at all? So. We've been in this pandemic for 18 months now, 20 months mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. First six months, absolutely, it was remote system access. Yeah, you know, Employees were not in the office anymore. Now they're at home. All yep. the remote systems are potentially vulnerable. I mean, that is where all the attention was early. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't see that as the biggest issue. I think okay. the, the most pervasive issue at this point is employee trust. Because mm. uh, we now, lots of companies and uh, have employees that they've never seen in person. Yeah. Uh, uh, and employees that are not in the office might have a more transactional relationship with their employer. Uh, mm. And I think this is where cybersecurity issues are being generated. It's harder to keep track of employees. There's a less of a trust relationship between the employee and the employer. And I think this is leading to a lot of challenges from the overworked, if you've read about that, to oh, yeah. uh, and, and just people making um, uh, things that used to happen in person from a cybersecurity perspective are no longer in person. So I trust to me is the new issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, uh, there's the, I don't see the situation getting any better. <laughs> I just say, yeah, well, I'm okay. Saying. So, while, so while we, while we get to know our, our, our new remote employees, are there other sort of mitigating things that we can do in the meantime? Is this like an access control issue or, or, or what, you know, what, what can, what, what can you do if you're like, I'm not sure these people are here. Do you like give them more limited access to things and, and hope for the best until they sort of prove themselves or, or what do you think? So we have a surprising number of clients reaching out to us on insider threat programs mm-hmm. as well as uh, access control programs. So to yeah. more carefully distribute data access rights. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, these programs are not easy to put together. I mean, I've been working mm-hmm. myself personally for a long time, and these programs are difficult and complicated, uh, but they're necessary now, more so than ever before, uh, just because of the remote work. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to another uh, prediction for 2022, cyber insurance has been a big topic this year. Uh, you know, and although I know it predates this year, this seems like kind of a year zero in terms of tracking its effectiveness and its issues and specifically things like the regulation of it and the why and how of, of payouts and who, you know, who, who pays the money when, when someone, you know, calls in a problem that they have. Do you think that cyber insurance uh, as an industry will be able to work out the kinks and be a viable backup uh, when the worst occurs? And if not, how would you change it? Uh, my answer is no. This is mm-hmm. a general statement. Mm-hmm. Um, I think cybersecurity insurance is part of the bigger picture and part of a program, but much similar to other topics, not the panacea. Um, You know, most companies are trying to get cybersecurity insurance. It's probably a good idea. It is getting more difficult to get it because I think the underwriters are getting smarter about what the real risks are. Yeah. Also companies need to go read the fine print uh, because often the exclusions will eliminate the purpose of the insurance altogether. I mean, Mm -hmm. a lot of insurance policies are now starting to exclude ransomware. That, that, mm. that's problematic yeah uh, um, is it just because it's so easy to get in or because or it's right. i mean it's such a gnarly payout oh okay the other issue is that these policies are rarely large enough to really deal with the, big, the ultimate problem so i also think that they're it is going to get more and more complicated to get because again i think yeah. the are waking up 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it does. I'm sure there's a point where it'll, it'll work itself out, but it does feel sort of like, like buying magic beans at this point. <laughs> yeah. So my advice is to most clients is go get it for sure. You need yeah. it. Read the fine print. Yeah. Sure. And, and, and still don't, and don't lean on it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so um, can you speak about president Biden's directives on immediately addressing and patching vulnerabilities and federal and government servers? I mean, we've had guests speak a lot this year about the importance of prioritizing vulnerabilities and, you know, the ones that are actually exploitable rather than just working around the clock to close everything that can't be exploited anyway. Uh, do you think that, what do you think about the implications of, of this directive to, to, to go close the, close the gaps? I'm not surprised that Department of Defense and government systems have vulnerabilities. Yeah, I mean, that is to be expected. Sure. <laughs> you know, I think the the overall theme of the executive order makes sense. I mean, the government mm -hmm. should go for priority in these cybersecurity topics. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's anything new here, to be honest. I think mm -hmm. the um, it's not a surprise that an enterprise as big as the U.S. government has issues, and yeah. I think the executive and the CEO, for all intents and purposes, is putting pressure to close vulnerability, close holes. It's probably. Mm -hmm. Are are there legacy issues involved in that as well? Is there is there a, like a large hierarchy of like very old systems versus more recent sure, stuff? Or, yeah. Not only that, they're unbelievably complicated, and mm -hmm. uh, in many cases, the U.S. government doesn't even know who built the system because it's so old. Yeah, so or, are, or yeah, or yeah. can't take things down long enough to update it. I imagine. Right. I mean, this is a mm -hmm. complex environment. I mean, like I said, I mean, the U.S. government is just a big enterprise. It's just yeah. it's just a heck of a lot bigger than anybody else out there. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, do you, do you see it being, um, you know, because I, I, GDPR was a good idea, but it seems like it's been implemented oddly. Do you, I mean, do you think this, if this is a good idea, do you think that it's uh, it's going to do what it intends to do? I think it'll have uh, marginal improvement. I mean, okay. putting, you're going to get a lot more benefit out of it having the right leaders in place driving these programs yep. than you are out of any executive order. Got it. Uh, so here, here's the part of the show where I hand you the, the magic wand or the genie with three wishes and let you make the pie in the sky changes to the cybersecurity industry that you'd like to see. So where, where do you start? So first thing I would do is uh, get my DeLorean. Uh, okay. Back to the future reference. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, get that flux uh, capacitor go back, going. Get the flux capacitor rocking and then go back with Marty McFly to about <laughs> ni late 1980s. Let's and, do it. <laughs> uh, when all these protocols are being written, uh, FTP, HTTP, and uh, basically slap them in the face and say, don't build any of these that you know, <laughs> don't, uh, have security built in. So gotcha. I think that kind of underlying protocol model of the internet has been foundationally broken for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, a lot of the issues we see today, less so today maybe than five years ago, because a lot of the secure protocols have taken over. But uh, that would have saved us a lot of uh, bad heartache. I think secondly, uh, I would go, if I could do a magic wand, I would fix the authentication behind email. Uh, hmm. Email mm -hmm. is where a lot of our challenges come from today. It's yeah. driven by a lack of authentication on the other side of the equation. And it's not that uh, it's not that the technology doesn't exist. It just isn't usable. Uh, and, hmm. you know, if my mom can't figure out how to send an encrypted email, then it just isn't going to work. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Then probably, you know, third, I would... Uh, I would really, if I could go fix anything, it would be, I would really encourage organizations to not rely on security training awareness so much. 
Hmm. I think uh, I, I visit with a lot of clients where their solution to all problems is security training and awareness. Uh, and, and my view on that is there's a place for security awareness and training, but mm-hmm. it is a last line of defense, not first line of defense type solution. Mm-hmm. And most security problems are the fault of people like me. I mean, there needs to be, I blame security practitioners for mm-hmm. not creating good usable solutions to a lot of problems. You know, a good example would be phishing. You know, okay. well, this is just a place that security practitioners have failed. I mean, flat hmm. out. And okay. you know, we should not be counting on, you know, phishing, anti-phishing programs or phishing training programs and companies to solve this problem. I mean, this is not tech. This needs to be a technology solution that hmm. takes it out of the hands of accounting or HR or an admin or an IT person. It, it, it's a fallacy that is created by our profession and it needs to be resolved. Do you feel like that's that's something that the security industry has has sort of kicked that can down the street by putting it into the laps of the end end users? I, I yes, I'm a big believer in not blaming the end user. Okay, yeah, so me too. an end user goes and clicks on an email, and that leads to a breach. Is that the end user's fault, or is that the security leader's fault? And mm-hmm. and the answer is it's the security leader's fault. And you know, the security research world and the security practitioners, we have to go give organizations the tools to not blame the end user. I see lots of companies uh, taking action on employees who, you know, make a, a stupid move on their computer that leads to data exposure. And I, I just think that's probably the wrong way to think about it. Um, yeah. and that's why I don't like these phishing programs as much as maybe someone might think I would. Can you see uh, sort of uh, what, what, what does the technology look like that would sort of like put phishing completely out of mind for, for an end user? Like, does it exist in the world? Is it something that's that's yet to be built or is it just the will to implement it? I, um, I think it's a complex problem. I mean, uh, yeah. it requires the right email solutions, the right authentication and the right data analytics hmm. uh, to go do it. But there's, in my mind, Theoretically, I mean, obviously, I would have built this myself right this second if I knew the solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we as security practitioners, this is one area that we have definitely failed. I mean, there is opportunity for improvement here. Um, and, it, and, 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 and most security practitioners would tell you that email is their biggest threat vector. And so yeah. this is something that needs to be resolved. And by the way, that's been true for 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's more true than ever. So uh, can, I clean up my, can I make one comment on the phishing thing? Please. I, mean, if I have, you know, so running an you know, running a phishing campaign where you measure how many people click the phishing email. I, I think that's just a mistake because I think that you're running after the wrong metric. What I would hmm. much rather see organizations do is instead of tracking who clicks on the email, go track who reported it. Okay. Hmm. So you, you deploy a, a training email around phishing and 15% of your employees reported it as phishing to security, that is amazing. You've just, imp- you've just increased the number of people in your sensor network helping defend the network by 15% of your employee base. Yeah. Right? So I would much rather focus on who recognized it and didn't click yeah. on it than who didn't recognize it and did click on it. Because I think in that instance, training is only going to get you so far. Yeah. Yeah. So is, is, is that make, make mean that there's more of an issue for people who maybe recognized it, but didn't do that extra step of reporting it? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a need for people to report it. Um, mm-hmm. I also say that the people writing these spear phishing emails today are very good. 
I very mean, good. Yeah, they're very good. So stunningly so. And this is part of my issue with this with with only counting on the click metrics is yeah with enough time and energy I can write an email that everyone in your company will click on. Mm-hmm. Uh, just how much energy does it take? And you know, I would rather put my energy into defenses than necessarily identifying it. Right. Uh, so speaking from a, a work perspective, um, what advice would you give cybersecurity students who are getting their knowledge and experience in 2022? What, what trends or innovation should be, they be watching for in the new year? Um, you know, so what I see happening in the security environment is uh, security as code. I mean, this is basically the trend. Uh, and it's driven by the earlier conversation around the cloud. Mm-hmm. The security, the security leaders of tomorrow are software developers today. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I am, I'm uh, pretty sure of that because what I see all of our clients doing is trying to automate the security process, and they're doing it because they can't find enough people. Plus, they want better efficacy. So, by automating, they could have more confidence in their their their, their mitigations, more confidence in their controls. Uh, and it's it's faster, better, smarter. Well, that puts a huge amount of demand on people that understand how to automate and how to uh, take a complex problem and turn it into a simple solution that can be done over and over and over again. So, I mean, what I tell more junior people that are interested in getting in this space, problem solving is rule number, is, is is requirement number one. Got to oh, yeah. be interested in solving the problem. And then two is some data analytics skills mm-hmm. and some scripting automation programming skills, even if it's just basic Perl and Python are super valuable to the average employer. Nice. Uh, so as we wrap up today, Andrew, could you please tell me or tell our listeners about Kudelski security and some of the projects and productions you're excited to about going into the new year? Sure. So we're a Swiss based, uh, as you can see in the background, there you are. Uh, <laughs> live uh, from uh, Switzerland, the Matterhorn uh, yep. cybersecurity firm. We focus on enterprises, big and small. Uh, we have been on the market since 2013 uh, with major presence in Europe and the US. And we help enterprises get ready for uh, the, the attack that is inevitably coming. So we provide advice on how to protect your network. We provide evaluation of your network uh, and your controls that protect that network. And then we'll secure the network on your behalf, either secure it and let you run it or secure it and let us run it. Um, In addition, we work in a lot of spaces to develop strong security solutions, everything from blockchain, uh, which is a fast moving market, uh, a lot of security demands to operational technology um, and how that space is evolving and what tools are required. Uh, we like to think of ourselves as a partner to our clients as they move their business. We like to protect their business models. Uh, so we'd appreciate the opportunity to talk to anyone that has needs. Uh, I, I was just about to wrap up here, but you, you mentioned blockchain security. Can you talk about that at all going into 2022? What's, what are the, what are the, the concerns going around that right now? Well, this is our fastest growing business segment far and away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and um, our company historically has been engaged in cryptography. We have a lot of cryptographers mm-hmm. on staff and mm-hmm. uh, they're in hot demand in the blockchain space. Okay. As the amount of venture capital being moved into the blockchain space to develop decentralized finance apps and exchanges and new cryptocurrencies uh, is at a pace like I've never seen before. I mean, the wow. number of apps being developed uh, is at a crazy, crazy pace. And hmm. all of those apps have security vulnerabilities that need to be mitigated. All those exchanges want to be secured. All those 
crypto algorithms underneath the new chains and currencies require validation. And so that's where we play. Uh, we partner with companies that are developing those technologies uh, and help them secure their business models. All right. One last question for all the marbles. If our listeners want to learn more about Andrew Howard or Kudelski, uh, where can they go online? Company website's always the best. KudelskiSecurity.com. K-U-D-E-L-S-K-I. KudelskiSecurity.com. Great. Andrew, thank you for joining me today and talking us through your predictions for the near future. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Uh, and as always, thanks uh, thanks to everyone listening and supporting the show. New episodes of the Cyberwork Podcast are available every Monday at 1 p.m. Central, both on video on our YouTube page and on audio wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. I'm also excited to announce that our InfoSec Skills platform will be releasing a new challenge every month with three hands-on labs to put your cybersecurity skills to the test. Each month, you'll build a new skill ranging from secure coding to penetration testing to advanced persistent threats and everything in between. Plus, we're giving away more than $1,000 worth of prizes each month if you uh, solve the puzzles and let us know. Just go to infosecinstitute.com slash challenge and get started right now. Thanks very much again to Andrew Howard and thank you all for listening and watching. We will speak to you next week. How about some free cybersecurity training resources for you and your team? Just go to infosecinstitute.com slash free to get ebooks, training guides, and more than 100 cybersecurity training courses, all free for cyberwork listeners. Go to infosecinstitute.com slash free and start learning crucial new skills today.